0: You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash first paw media. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there, the hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you could do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. From First Paw Media, this is Canadian Challenge Tales. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts you'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Dan Kirkup. Our executive producer is Robert Forto,
1: created for First Paw Media.
0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. I am joined by Jessica Reimer from Emigrant Gap, California. How are you, Jessica?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate you joining us. I know you are on last season. We had you in and uh, we chat a little about your big plans for last year's race season. Um, and we're excited to uh, have you back for this coming year at Canadian Challenge again. But let's start with... Last year's race season, you were very busy. I have <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, five. I counted five races last year.
1: Yeah, that we did five 100 mile races and then a 2.2 mile dry land bike during race. <laughs> wow,
0: so a busy season!
1: Yeah, just so a bit. Just,
0: just in case anyone wants to follow along, you did the Eagle Cap Extreme, eight dog, 100 mile, you got second place. Uh, I did the Idaho sled dog challenge, uh, 10 dog, 100 mile, second place. Race to the sky, 8 dog, 100 mile, second place. Uh, I did the Canadian challenge, 8 dog, 100 mile. You were the champion for that one. And then you drove up to Yellowknife and you did the 6 dog, 100 mile, and you got third. And every single race, you are within an hour of the winner. And at the challenge where you won, the second place person was within an hour of you there. So it really shows me that you were close on every single one of these right in the mix all the way along. So can you tell us about, I know I just gave you a whole bunch of them. Can you tell (laughs) us a little about maybe each one or maybe some of the races that stood out?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it was a great season. And I think when we first talked last year, it was right before the season started. And I think when I mentioned, you know, we had a busy schedule um, we, I really didn't know if we were going to do all of them. I think I mentioned I had a really young team. I had five two-year-olds that this was their first season racing, and, and it was my first season running hundred milers. So I knew we had trained for it. I knew the dogs were physically ready for it, but they were really young, and so I kind of signed up for races. Thinking that you know, if I needed to drop one here or there to kind of preserve their mental health and and to make sure they were doing the young dogs were doing okay and setting them up for long careers, um, I was okay with doing that. But each race, they kind of you know, the first the first race was the Eagle Cap, and we had been there for the sixty two mile stage race the year before, just kind of as a little primer teaser for the young dogs and. And so that was our very first miler. first time the dogs had seen checkpoints with volunteers and camping beside other teams. We had done a lot of camping for practice and training, and just that's what we like to do. So camping itself was not a big deal for them, but pulling into a checkpoint where there are people milling about and t- trying to direct us into places um, was really new for them. So that first, first checkpoint, um, we were parked beside another team, and I think my young dogs just kind of sat up alert the whole we were there for three hours and the whole time just kind of wondering what was going on. And But they were eating and they were drinking, so they were doing well. And they were very happy to leave the checkpoint for the second leg. And, and that was a race where it was split into three legs. So by the time we came back around to that same checkpoint for our second break, um, they definitely bedded down very quickly and were very happy to take a break. Um, and But they finished super strong. And and so my whole goal for this season was to really take things easy, stop for lots of snack breaks. Let them play on the trail and really just monitor um, their kind of mental wellness and and seeing, making sure they were having a good, fun time and stopping before they needed it um, and making sure they got the breaks that they needed. And so after that first race, uh, we had, um, I think it took about three days for them to bounce back and, and be their full energetic selves again. And and so I was kind of a, I was like, OK, we'll see how Idaho goes and if we do it or not. And and by three days after Eagle Cap, it was like, OK, now they're ready to run again. And so then we did the Idaho um, sled dog challenge and that one was super fun and fast. So Eagle Cap, we had had a bunch of snow drip um, right, rate the night before the race. So it was a lot of breaking trail and being in fresh snow and wind drifts. Whereas Idaho was the exact opposite. Um, We, we, they had this little ceremonial start um, the day before, and it was all on these, this groomed corduroy trail. And it was really fun with a crowd and this little loop so that people could watch us running dogs. And, and I kind of joked as like, Oh, imagine if the whole race course was this beautifully groomed corduroy. Um, And it was, (laughs) it really was. So that race was fun and fast and And by that point I had gotten to know a few of the mushers that were doing all three of the lower 48 races, which is what we call the triple crown. And so, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie on the trail and and making friends and getting to know people while everyone's still just doing their own race. Um, And so that race, I I felt like the dogs definitely were more mentally ready. It was less of that wide eyed, like, what are we doing? And they just kind of settled more into, um, yeah, just their routine and doing what they do best. And it was really fun seeing some of my young dogs step up into the leading positions for the second and third leg. And, and so after that race, I think it took them about a day and a half to bounce back and to their full energetic selves. And, you know, but after the Montana race to the sky, it was within six hours of finishing that race. They're like, okay, we're ready. So it was really fun to see their transition from these, these young dogs who had, barely ever seen a race start before and definitely had never seen a, a checkpoint with other dogs on a race before to them very easily growing and maturing into these, um, race veterans that, that I saw by the end of the season. So, um, there are a million stories from, from each race, especially the Canadian challenge. Um, but, I'll, yeah, I guess we'll start with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's quite a story in what you've done, in a year, I mean, maybe it's just to me, but it seemed like you were gone, given where you live and where the races are, you were gone from home for the entire season, like the for yeah. the races at least? What's that, about early January until late March?
1: Mid-April. Mid-April. Yeah. So we... I think the plan was to be on the road for about two and a half months um, between, and that was kind of like from the start of the first race until finishing up at the underdog in Yellowknife. And and we're, we live in Ta and train in Tahoe and so we had had a couple huge storms roll through which was amazing we just went and camped out on the trail and got some really good training in um, but we had about a one day window between a massive storm clearing and another one coming in and so we had about one day a week before the first race for us to get out of here and so we quickly I got home from the trail we reloaded everything packed packed up we had a One, like 24 hours of sunshine, which was amazing. Got everything loaded and then headed to Oregon about a week early um, and and ended up doing some training out there um, at the race site, just because otherwise we weren't going to be able to get out of here. And so it ended up being a total of three months on the road. I think we left around January 13th and got back around April 16th.
0: It was a huge snowfall (laughs) in in that area. (laughs) I know. I know. We, there were lots of reports of snowfall in the ski resorts in Utah, Colorado, et cetera. I mean, it yep. was just crazy. Did you guys get all of that snow?
1: Oh yeah, so we're we're at five thousand feet and we're just below Donner Pass, um, and so I think they tallied something like I want to say it was like fifty six feet or something for the season. We had, I think there was a two week period here at home. And so my husband, Matt, he came for some of the races, but then he was working as well. Um, so he had to fly back every once in a while, and, and which was a good thing. because he also dug our house out um, from under the snow, but I think there was a two week period where 20 feet fell. Um, and so, yeah, it's, what is 20 feet is, what is, what is that in centimeters? I don't know what that is in centimeters anymore, um, but it's a lot. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. So when we came home mid-April, Um, we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to get in. So we have a seven and a half foot high fence around our two acre, like free run pen for the dogs. And then in the free run pen, they each have about seven or eight foot high, 10 by 10 kennels. And so when I got home with the dogs mid April, um, we basically walked over the top of the seven and a half foot fence because the snow came well over the top of the fence. And then we had friends come. Um, I got in early in the morning and we had friends come meet us at the house and we Dug out. We had to dig down. You could barely see the tops of the kennels, so we had to dig down into all of the kennels and clear the kennels. And so we spent a day basically just moving snow. I think there was about five of us doing it and just moving snow so the dogs could even move back into the yard. And then it wasn't until probably mid June um, when we actually had uh, a fully contained yard again. And thankfully, my guys don't run off. And we it's all forest around us, so we just would go on free walks every day instead of playing in the yard. Um, so they didn't really mind that there was no fence, but yeah, it was, um, it was a long, long haul, even though once, even once we got home, it wasn't, you know, and just an easy open the van and let everyone into the yard. There was a, there's a lot of winter still left here for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it extended the season with trails and, and whatnot, yeah. which people don't, I'm sure don't think about when they think California dog musher.
1: Nope. They definitely don't, but that's okay. We'll just fly under the radar.
0: <laughs> that seems like it's more <laughs> your style. Um, so after you finished up at at Race to the Sky, um, you came up to the Canadian Challenge. I know you came up a couple of days early. We happened to spot you out
1: um, yeah. while Rob and
0: I were doing some trail work. We spotted you out there putting some yeah. dogs, uh, getting them ready to run. So I know you came up a couple of days early. What was it like, um, you know, at, at the Challenge, having not been there um, for you, sort of coming Back home, I know you're from uh, Canada originally.
1: Yeah, um, so it was very, very different than the the Triple Crown or the first three races that we did. It was we. Um, so I grew up in Yellowknife, and so I I have always kind of when we, when we were living in Alaska, you know, I was kind of like, ah, it's so warm and mild here. It's nothing compared to the minus 40 I grew up in. And, um, and then when we crossed the border into Saskatchewan last winter for the Canadian challenge, I was like, I don't think I need to live in minus 40 anymore. Like I used to think I was really tough for having grown up in that, but I'm, I've gotten very soft, I think living in Alaska and, and then here in California. And it was cold. It was so, so cold. So I think that, the the toughest thing, um, adjustment for, for my team was not was not the miles it wasn't the trail conditions it was dealing with the cold and and when they were running they were totally fine they were they were set up for it you know half my dogs came from northern Canada or, or Alaska so they were used to the cold but for my young pups who were born in California it's a bit of a shocker for them and the big difference that I noticed was between the our first three races we had so it was about 10 days between each race and so between the first three um you know they would we would spend a lot of time relaxing in the sun and the dogs would just be sprawled out in the sun and free running and, you know, listening their muscles and just really basking and getting rest as well as being able to stretch out. Um, whereas when we got to Saskatchewan, so we were in, we have family and good friends in Saskatoon. So we stayed there for a couple days and and then we have really good friends in L'Orange. So we went up and, and based out of their, um, their driveway for a few days before the race and The dogs just didn't want to get out of the van. Um, They'd get out for a little bit of food, but weren't eating a ton because they just didn't want to be standing outside. And it was like, they'd go outside, do their business and then wanted to be right back in their warm boxes. And so that I found was the biggest thing is we, yeah, it was just a little tougher for them because they weren't as warm or relaxed or loose as I had seen um, for the previous month or so. Um, so that was a big adjustment for them. But as soon as they hit the trail and started running, it was so fast, and the trail was so nice that that, that everything else kind of fell away for them, um, and they really, really enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I'd say the biggest the biggest piece of that, for especially for my young dogs who had never seen it before, was was the cold, um, and not the racing, but just the in between times.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a common trend that the memories from Canadian Challenge <laughs> seem to be cold. Um, you know, if you go back and listen to the uh, podcast episode with Craig um, out of mm-hmm. BC, his memory of the Canadian Challenge is uh, he has been twice, both of which were warm.
1: You know, oh. like single
0: digit minus Celsius oh, temperatures. Wow which is just odd from others. So I think he was pretty happy to get to experience some of the warmer ones. It's just a different challenge, right? You're paying a little more attention to overheating as opposed to keeping everybody warm and happy and keeping everybody moving. Um, So let's talk a little more about the race itself. Can you tell us Mm -hmm. how day one went with the, the start down at the remote checkpoint and then running (laughs) through the, the trees and the bush and then across the lake into La Range on the first day?
1: Yeah, um, it was super fun. So when you had seen me training a couple days before, I think we had just run one tiny little section of it. um, And then we had run from the finish line, maybe about 20 miles back up the road. So we had seen all the day two stuff, but we hadn't seen that first um, stretch of day one, I think. And so it was really fun and and wonderful and and fun to be out there with other teams, but um, I think I'm, I'm what you might be referring to is our start line was uh, quite quite the gong show. Um, so we, you know, everyone was starting lined up against that little kind of spur road, and and so we're all lined up against the road, and then there's a ninety degree turn onto the onto the beautiful trail that you guys have had developed but because you had worked on the trail so much everything on either side of that narrow trail was deep deep snow and so one of the things I love to do with my team um, is I run up to the start line in front of them with my leaders while my handler or, or someone's on on the sled. And at other races that I had done that, the sled was tied off to a snow machine or an ATV. And so, you know, the whoever's on the sled isn't really doing too much. They're just riding the brake a little bit, but they're more there just to make sure nothing goes crazy wrong. And while I get the pleasure and joy of running up to the start line with my team and, and so I was doing that. Um, and so we turn, we take the 90 degree turn to go onto the trail and my dogs cut the corner and I totally like face planted into the deep snow, basically post-fold through. And Teresa, my handler who was on the sled, could she was around the corner so she couldn't see what was happening. And so um, the dog team just kind of, ran all the whole team ran over me giving me little licks and kisses as they were going by just totally confused as to why I was sitting in the middle of the team and then as soon as Teresa saw me she threw on the brakes and you know slowed them down I was able to roll out of the way but it was a pretty humorous way to to start the race you know at that point, you know, it was, it was my rookie season of running hundred mile races, but I had felt, you know, that we typically were behaving pretty professionally and, you know, we had our, our stuff together, but at that point it was like, well, you know, (laughs) stuff happens all the time for sure. So it was a pretty fun way to start the race. Um, and then I wasn't
0: trying to embarrass you at all. I was trying (laughs) to talk about the trail more than anything else, but you know, we appreciate the story.
1: (laughs) oh there's no embarrassment it was just it was a really fun um I think those sorts of little quirks and and kinks in the race um you have to laugh at them there I mean the yeah the dogs were having fun and no one got hurt so it was it was a it was a good way to start um but the then the other funny thing that happened on that day one is I had one of my two-year-olds my really young dogs in lead Kiska and um when she was a puppy she got really she was in a fear phase and got really startled by a black plastic garbage bag and as you can imagine running a huge stretch of ditch in northern saskatchewan you see a lot of large black plastic garbage bags and so it took her a good maybe the first 20 miles um to not severely react to seeing black plastic garbage bags fluttering in the wind Um, she did really well she she kept going forward but she would put her like get to as far of the opposite side of the trail as she could from any garbage bag that she passed so it was it was nice to see her conquer her fears by the end of the by the end of the stretch but But the trail itself, you know, i had heard, oh, it's just running along the highway and it's really boring or it's nothing special, but I really enjoyed it. Um, Kind of running through that willow brush, it kind of is undulating up and down. Um, And then you get into some beautiful birch forest and yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was nice and fast and the temperatures were great and the dogs really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah. So I really enjoyed day one.
0: Yeah. It's, um, there's only 10 miles of of ditch travel in in that Mm -hmm. section. Uh, that we had last year, and, and a lot of it is um, older logging roads. Mm-hmm. And so the trail is, I mean, there's sections that are narrow, but a big portion of those are wide. So I find yeah. them really exciting because you you can generally relax a little bit. Like you don't have to be driving the sled and paying as much mm-hmm. attention as as some of the tighter areas, uh, but you get to see a whole bunch and and really experience a lot of that. Fast, wide open northern Saskatchewan area which I'm I'm a big fan of um so and then you across the lake and then into La Mm Range to end day one um and then on day two we started out of La Range across the the lake about 25 miles and then got into the lake portage leapfrogging fun uh, right Mm -hmm. up to the the finish line how was day two for you
1: yeah. Day two was, was super great. And again, of course, in, in true fashion for the, for me at the Canadian challenge, I guess, was day leaving the, <laughs> leaving the checkpoint at day two was also exciting. Um, the night before I had been chatting with Matt, my husband, and I was like, you know, I, I think I'm going to put Marmot, who's one of my really young leaders. I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to put Marmot in lead. This is a great chance for her to lead on the second leg. And she just, she had been doing great. Um, but the, the, previous training run I had done with her in Leeds, she had been a little bit stubborn, which was new for her. Um, You know, I'd give a command and and whoever she was leading with would go to listen to it. And she's like, nah, I think we're going to do something else today. Um, So, you know, she she was young adolescence and just trying to find her voice in the world. And so I was debating whether to run her and lead. And and I remember saying to Matt, I was like, it's either going to go really well and I'm going to be so proud of her, or it's going to go really bad. (laughs) And so as we were coming up to the start line, to get ready. Um, I see where we came in on day one was kind of Looker's right. And where we were leaving was lookers left and kind of a big 90 degree turnout, um, following lathes out onto the lake. Um, and so as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, no, we're going with option two. It's going to be really bad. <laughs> so um, Marvin was trying to pull us to go out the inbound chute instead of where we were supposed to go. But we got that sorted. So, um, you know, I kind of just was patient and called her around, even though, you know, it was like three, two, one, go. And I just had to wait and be like, "Ha." And then finally, they they pulled around. And by that point, Marmot was like, oh, man, OK, fine. I'm not going right, but I'm not going left either. So she just bolts straight through, plows through the crowd and takes us out onto the ice. And I figured once we hit one of those... Skidoo trails to, I'd be able to call her left and, and call her back onto the trail. But after she blew over the first two Skidoo trails that I thought we'd be able to take, I was like, okay, we got to throw on the brakes. And so I threw on the brakes, dropped my snow hooks and did a really quick leader switch and put one of my most, um, you know, tried and trusted leaders in in there for her. Um, and then it was no problem. We got back on the trail and, and had a beautiful run and it was really great. But um, I think that's one of the, the fun things and especially this year, training really young dogs um, and seeing them step up into those leader roles. You know, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to figure out their voices on the team and and they're going to learn from that. And we, and we don't know um, what they're capable of unless we put them in those situations. So again, it was um, nothing to be, Mad or frazzled or anything by it was just like, well, I guess that didn't work. Let's uh, we'll give her a try later on down the trail. Um, so it was a really fun, humorous way to to start the day for sure. Um, and then it was such a beautiful trail, it was really wide open lakes, and so it was really fun too. And because we went out backwards, so um, I guess slowest first or, or time order wise, um, I got to see a lot of the other mushers on the trail as we kind of let past them. And then once we hit that portage section, like I said, we had trained back backwards from the finish line to that. That last 20 miles. Um, so once we hit the portages, my dogs knew where we were. They'd seen that trail before, and it was so fun. It's so narrow through those areas, but because we had seen it, I kind of had a feel that we could, you know, go a, a little faster and make those tight turns. I had, you know, practiced that before, and so um, that's for me. That's really fun driving. It's really fun technical um, work to get around those corners, and and so it was just a real pleasure to finish. And and then by the time we hit that Home, home stretch into Missinippee, the dogs were just so strong and so happy um, that it was a real pleasure to kind of let them in that last section, just get take as much stride as they wanted and, and really pick up the speed to come into the finish line because, yeah, they just looked amazing. They looked really great.
0: That's an interesting approach to the portages because uh, Marcel's episode, uh, he talked about slowing the dogs down during the portages because he was unsure He didn't Mm -hmm. know how long they were going to be. He, Mm -hmm. you know, he said it's usually a little bit warmer because there's not a bunch of wind because it's all full of trees. And he was trying to slow them down during Mm -hmm. the portages. And then once they got back onto the lakes, it was okay. Sort of let go of the break and let them go again. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. having a little more experience on the portages and feeling more comfortable that you were able to, to be okay on a little bit more speed which is an, an interesting take on it um, yeah and I and think for of course course we...
1: Too, sorry we like we train a lot in the forest and on small trails like that and so for my dogs that it's really exciting for them so by letting them pick up speed a little bit it just was like a happy break for them rather than work for them
0: y- yes and for those that are curious about that section of trail that it's just one direction. It's not a lot of snowmobile Mm -hmm. traffic. So there's not trails to choose from. It's this is the path through the trees to get from Mm -hmm. one lake to the next. And even if there is snowmobile traffic, there's they're all sticking to the same trail. So it it gets quite a bit, um, not not as much control required on the dogs I find, because there's only one way to go. There's no turns to worry about and they just have to follow the trail. And luckily we didn't have a lot of snow Uh, during the race which kept it easy and uh and kept the trail in good shape so that's always good how was the last portage I was asked people about it because it's the one that never ends so most (laughs) of them are quarter of a mile half a mile long and then the very last portage you go through is three miles so did you feel like it never ended would you know having run that that this was near the end
1: yeah, so so now I feel like I cheated a little bit because because we had run it from the other way. I had some idea of how long it was and we were just having so much fun. It was just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I didn't remember how many portages there were or how long they were. I just knew that the trees were really fun. So yeah, it, it didn't feel like it went on forever for us. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: I think it was more so on the, the 10 dog teams that were getting mm. close to the end there going, okay. Yeah. It's dark, yeah. there's cold, yeah. right? Totally. It's like no, I'm totally. I'm ready for the finish line and no. I just I don't know how many portages. I think the number is fourteen, but it depends on how you count them. Right. So I, yeah. I keep telling people it's just the last one is really long. It's three miles. <laughs> so when you get to the portage that feels like it won't end, you're almost there.
1: You're almost there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that was things at the challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little about underdog because that's, I'm going to call it your hometown race. I mean, you grew up in Yellowknife. What was it like going home and, and running a race at home with, you know, your friends and family there?
1: Yeah, it was so fun. And because we had three weeks between Canadian challenge and then underdog, um, it yeah it was so fun to go to go home and see friends and we ended up renting a small little houseboat from a friend of a friend out on the bay um where i knew so i kind of i kind of felt like i had a bit of the inside scoop on where even though i didn't run dogs when i lived in Yellowknife, i i knew areas where people did run dogs and i knew where there might be trails and where it would be easy for us to set up and so for the whole Um, Race season, we had been living out of the van and and a trailer, Um, but I had a friend of a friend who had a houseboat in Yellowknife out on the bay, and so we ended up renting his houseboat for a month, um, which gave my handler somewhere to stay when she came up and then also gave us a great base with the, he had a little it was off grid but it has a little wood stove in it so we could dry out gear and i could bring a couple dogs in at a time to do massage and and just work on any injuries that we had occurred throughout the first four races and and we could run right from the houseboat and the really fun part was that i had you know lots of friends come down to the boat and come out on dog sled rides with us and then marcel who runs the underdog he's just such a generous welcoming person and I just found that with mushers all throughout our season was everyone's really eager to show their trails to other people to other mushers and and to run with other other teams and so he was really gracious in letting me run from his place um and so being able to see the race trail as well as get some experience um on on those trails and and with his team both from his place which is the halfway turnaround for the underdog and then also I went and camped out at North Arm which is the start and finish line and so we were able to spend a lot of time free running on the ice out there and getting the dogs big stretches and and play time as well as being able to check out the the race trail as well so it was so fun I don't I think I hadn't been home for about maybe five or six years and And it was just so fun to be there in the middle of the winter, be there with my dog team and be able to explore lakes and trails that I had been on as as a kid or as a teenager and and be able to be there with my dog team as well as sharing it with friends. And my whole family came up for the final race to see us start and finish. And so it was really fun to have my parents and my brother and my niece out there. And yeah, so it it was just it really did feel like a homecoming and the perfect cap to our season.
0: And, and how did the race go? I know you finished in, in third, uh, you know, behind Marcel and, and, and Jeff King. I can't imagine you're upset finishing right behind (laughs) what I'm going to call a mushing legend. You know, again, less, less than an hour behind Jeff King and anything. I think anybody should be happy, but what was your take on the race itself?
1: Yeah, the race was really fun. So traditionally, from what I hear, it usually is a mass start. And so there's these chutes, everyone starts um, from the same parking lot. And there are these kind of little chutes that bring you all into the same trail. And the first 20 miles is on Lake ice. So you can see, you know, for 20 miles, you can see teams ahead of you. Now, because there had been a lot of snow that year and putting in all those little shoots was going to be really time consuming. And it was really punchy off of the race trail. Marcel decided to switch it up. And instead of doing a mass start, he did one minute intervals. So most races are 3 minute intervals. So, you know, it takes a bit of time if you are faster than another team to catch up to them and pass and and of all the races I had done prior to underdog, once you pass a team, you know, you're really only seeing or are passed by a team. You're really only seeing them for a few minutes before they turn around a corner and then you don't really see them again and you can go back to running your own race. Whereas at the underdog, I'd be really conscious when I left the start line, I was like I know how fast my dogs should be running. I know what we can do. I am not. I can't let anyone else's speed influence what I do in this. Like, I know my team. We're running our own race despite what anyone else is doing around us. And that's kind of how we have run all the races, but I knew it was especially essential at this one because you see tr- people for for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And especially with a one minute interval, it's really easy to, um, to see a team right in front of you and want to pass them or when you're being passed by a team, not to not want to chase their heels. And so we just kind of, I just stuck to our schedule and to our, our time. Um, And, and it worked out really nicely for, for my guys, everything went really smooth, but as you mentioned, um, I mean, running with Marcel is incredible. He's got an incredible team and it's just really, he's just really fun. So it's really fun to, to, um, be racing and on the trail with Marcel and, and then being able to run with, with Jeff was really awesome too, um, yeah, it was just, it was very different running with him than any of the other mushers I had run with all season. Uh, I really got to see a different style of mushing and just in, not necessarily in, in how he was running, but in how he was caring for, I always try to learn from everyone I'm camped out beside on the trail. And, you know, this is the beauty of mushing is everyone runs differently, trains differently, has different dogs and genetics and styles. And, you know, there is no one, there are many very wrong ways, but there's no one right way. And so it's all about figuring out what works for you and your dogs and your team. And so it was really fun to see someone who, you know, has been doing this for decades and seeing his Calm composure and how his teen, his dogs were were taken care of and running and yeah it was just really cool to watch his strategy and and to see what he was doing and I feel like I I learned a lot on that race um, a lot of pieces that um, I'll be able to incorporate into into my own style of running going forward as well so yeah it was incredible to share the trail with some very very great mushers um, and it was fast and I think one of the funnest parts was. At the, at the halfway turnaround, then you're head on past. So we'd been leapfrogging the whole first half because, you know, everyone's excited and people are passing you and then you're passing them. And um, and then once you hit the halfway point, you head on past every other team. And so it was really fun to be giving high fives and shouting, you know, encouragements and just seeing every other team on the trail and, and getting to get a really good look at their dogs and seeing how everyone was doing. Um, So I think that was a really fun, fun part of of the race. And then of course the final stretch into the North arm park, Um, the sun was going down, the Northern lights were coming out and you can just see headlamps coming in for that last 20 miles miles of the race it's just these little dots um, on the landscape coming in Um, so it's a really really special race it's doesn't it's nothing like anything I ran all season.
0: Wow so how do you set your pace do you use your experience to tell you how fast you're going or do you use some sort of technology GPS etc?
1: Yeah I just look at my dogs so I know what sort of pace I want them running so maybe the How fast that is is going to be different, but I know I want them trotting and I know that um, and I know who which dogs are able to trot at faster speeds or not. So I'm always, especially in that beginning section, I'm always making sure we're going slow enough so that my slowest dog is trotting. Um, And then we'll kind of after we get out the gate, we'll all start letting them build up a bit to see, you know, how how fast are they able to go on that? Because (coughs) sorry, um, because every trail is different. And so there's not like a oh, one speed where it's like, oh, we're always going, I don't know, 10 miles an hour or nine miles an hour. It's like, where are my dogs comfortable? And a lot of that just depends on conditions, whether there's deep snow, whether it's fast, hard pack trail, whether they're cold, whether they're warm, whether they're hungry. So it's, it's more a feel of where they're comfortable um, rather than an actual time. Okay.
0: And this leads very nicely into my social media question, <laughs> okay. which comes from Karen McGee. And that question is has watching other mushers race or dog care routine <laughs> influenced yours without them knowing it. <laughs> I yes, Feel like probably. it was planned but that is the question I have written down.
1: <laughs> oh and I, and I think everyone's always learning from everyone around them as much. You can be the most experienced musher out there and you might see a, a new trick or tip or snack or you know piece of equipment that you haven't seen or thought of before so I think that's the beauty of this sport is we're always learning um, which is really exciting and this year I had the, the pleasure and, and privilege of learning from so many people out on the trail um oh, what was the rest of the question there was have I learned
0: have you learned um, another watched another musher's race or dog care routine influenced yours
1: yeah. Okay. I think. I, <laughs> sorry. I think I answered that. Yeah. I'm. I'm watching people all the time. Um. And and I think uh, a piece of that that I really learned on the trail this year, and um, in addition to watching other mushers, um, was working with um the race vets at every single race. Um, just getting to know more because this was my first year doing these longer miles. Um, I, I knew how to deal with with some injuries or some wear and tear, but I hadn't been exposed to that many sore wrists or sore shoulders or those sorts of things that come when you're doing longer miles over multiple races. And so I learned a lot from the vets out on the race trail. And I know um, at the Canadian challenge, I think, Romani made fun of me a little bit being, I was probably the most eager musher she's ever had at vet checks because I was just so curious. And so um, they were just so gracious with their time and, in sharing their knowledge and, and especially day two before we left the start line going through each dog and looking at tweaks and, and, you know, maybe a little bit of, tight muscles here and there. They were just really patient with me in, in walking me through all of that rather than just writing down their notes and and moving on to the next dog. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think I learned from every single musher I encounter, whether it's seeing the way they do things and deciding that maybe doesn't work for me and my team or seeing the way they are doing things and saying, Oh, I really want to incorporate that in what I'm doing. And ultimately whatever I can learn to help me best, um, work with the dogs I have in front of me to make sure it's fun and enjoyable for us. I think that's always, always my goal. Um, You know, it, it we did place well this year, but it. I think we only did that well because my focus wasn't on placing well. It was on making sure my team was having a really fun time and that they were really comfortable in where we were doing. And a lot of that starts with the training, but that also, like I said, for the last race is making sure that we're running our own race on the trail and not being influenced to run a little bit faster or a little bit harder or to cut rest here because someone else is doing that. It's really about making sure that, um, I'm, that my team's doing the best that they can do, um, not compared to what someone else is doing
0: well this is one of the great things about mushing you know it's competitive but at the same time others are very other competitors are very helpful that if you Mm -hmm. had a question or you wanted to know more Mm -hmm. whatever it might be they're willing to help out not just in terms of an emergency situation but just to to talk to other people they're very um honest and upfront about, uh, what they might be doing or what works for them and sharing advice because it seems like it's all about what's best for the dogs, the sport and, and helping others to do better. And I very strongly believe that people pick up, they they emulate the things that they like and the things that work and they discard Mm -hmm. the things that they don't like or don't work. Right. And as you said, there's no one right way to do it but there will be a, a method that works best with your kennel, your dogs, your team, your style, your preference, as opposed yeah. to others, right? It's not yeah. as simple as saying, oh, well, Jeff King does ABC. So if I do ABC, I'm going to be successful. Unfortunately, that's not how mushing works. So everybody has to find their own their own way, their own style, their own path. So that's yeah. that's one of the great things that I find about it. And uh, as far as the vets go, I I absolutely agree with you. I believe that we try, certainly at the Canadian Challenge, to develop a relationship with the vets and the mushers where it's all about how do we make the dogs better than they are now, right? How Mm -hmm. do we do the most that we can to help them if they're sore or they're having a question? And that open dialogue between musher and vet as opposed to a regulatory view where they're here to regulate what I'm doing. It's more of a partnership on how we can make the dogs be awesome and continue to mm-hmm. be awesome. And so I yeah. I'm sure Romani and her entire vet team, which we thank for all of their hard work during the race. They will be back again this year Yay. in 24. So we're looking forward to that too. And we might um working on some educational stuff with the vets as well to be announced at a later date. So um, we're going to try and do a little bit more on the education side outside of the race, um, you know, with Romany and her um, partnership with the University of Saskatchewan and, and the vet college that's there. So really happy with that part. And I'm sure they'll be happy to know that you had good um, experience mm-hmm. with them. Um, so before we get into what you're planning for this coming season, I just wanted to touch a little bit on what it's like to plan for a road trip for the race season. You know, there may be, there are mushers out there. They're like, Oh yeah, we do this all the time, but there might be some that are like, Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine having to pack a vehicle to leave home for three months to do five races yeah. to handle food and straw. And where do we run dogs? And can you start at the beginning and tell us a little about how you plan for Uh, a big trip like this.
1: Yeah, lots of checklists, <laughs> checklists everywhere, every day. <laughs> um, so we, so back in 2018, um, my husband, Matt, um, he's, he was faculty at University of Alaska Anchorage. And so he came up for sabbatical. And so we were heading on the road for um, for eight months. Um, and at the time we had six dogs. And so at that point we said, you know, how can we go and travel for eight months with six dogs? And so that was during the time when sprinter van were becoming really popular and you know hashtag van life and all of that kind of stuff was just starting to be on the radar so we ended up buying a sprinter van and building it out so that we could fit dogs ourselves and we could live out of it for eight months and we had our fat bikes on the back on a rack and eventually a dog sled on the roof and all of our winter ski gear and so we lived out of the van for eight months um, during that winter and we traveled throughout the lower 48 ultimately ending up in Flagstaff and then making our way back up and and so during that trip we because we're Canadian and so we hadn't spent a lot of time in the lower 48 or on like BLM land or National Forest Service we learned a lot on that trip about um, these public lands that are you know dispersed camping which is basically you can camp wherever you want and there's all these old forestry roads that are dirt roads so they're amazing for running dogs on bikes or as you know as as we we have gotten, grown our team on ATVs. And so I feel like we learned a lot that year on the road about how to look at a map or a Google Earth and find out where would be a good place for us to camp with that many dogs because we're not going to, you know, organized campgrounds um, with that many dogs Um, and then figuring out where the best place to run or free run dogs were. So that was a huge kind of a training ground for us. And so setting up for for this year for being on the road for three months, um, one of the, the big things was food. So what do we need for food for the dogs for three months and not just for the dogs, but crossing a border from the US to Canada. So which almost made it a little bit easier in that when I thought about frozen meat snacks and what we needed for meat for the dogs. I just had to think about those first three races. And then I was like, once we cross the Canadian border, because we can't cross with all that meat, I was like, then we'll figure out meat on the Canadian side and <laughs> we'll deal with it there. Um, but so figuring out um, how much kibble, it's a lot, <laughs> and and pre-cutting all of their meat snacks and just having all of that organized in like these little burlap sacks um, or feed sacks and having it all, labeled, weighed, labeled, measured, all those things, and having them in a spot where it was easy to grab and organize for each race, and as well as booties and first aid supplies. And so the I guess the first thing I wanted to do was say, what what do I need for each race? And then compound that out to five races and then make sure that's all organized so it was easy between each great race to grab the the next pack of things that I was going to need and so it was always you know fresh booties fresh first aid, fresh human snacks fresh dog food dog snacks but a big piece this year was I had never run a hundred mile race before so I didn't I had camp lots and I'd run training runs, but I had no idea how hungry my dogs were going to be, what sort of snacks they were going to like. And so I ended up packing, you know, almost three times as much as they probably needed just because I didn't know what they were going to want after one or two of these hundred mile races. So that was a big learning curve for me. But getting all that race gear sorted, extra plastic gang lines, all of that was the first big step. And then obviously there's the whole, well, what do you need for human gear with everything ranging from probably minus five Celsius and running up big, big Hills. So you need to be able to sweat and not get cold. Um, And run through the night because a lot of those races, you have six hours mandatory rest split over two checkpoints. And so you're finishing maybe around anywhere from three to six in the morning. So you're going all night long. Um, And then you have to think about, you know, Canadian Challenge and Yellowknife where it was minus 35, minus 40 a lot of the time. So planning... Appropriate footwear, underlayers, enough overlayers—all um, of those pieces um, were were a lot. Um, and then you need good books too <laughs> for being on the road that long. Um, but so the the packing was definitely had to be very very organized and meticulous that way, so that I wasn't on the road realizing that there was something I forgot or something I needed. And then once we hit the road, then it got super easy. We were really fortunate um, to have really good friends at most of the bases for each of these races and so we had good friends in Oregon that we were able to go out a week early and train with them and and base out of our friend Angie's farm um, and then in between that um, we have good the Warrens in Idaho they let us base out of there and, and Trevor was running the race as well so we were able to get out on some training runs with him and check out the trails and, and be based out of their ranch so we weren't just on the side of the road somewhere and then in Montana we had met Clay- and Perry is one of the other rusher mushers at the other two races. And he was really generous in letting us base out of his cabin, um, which is right at the, right on the race trail. So we were able to run with other mushers out there and base out of his place. And then, like I mentioned, we had friends and family in Saskatoon and La Range and then heading up to Yellowknife. um, You know, I have good friends in Edmonton we stayed with. So I I felt very fortunate and happy to be able to see so many friends and family that we hadn't seen in a while. Um, So we really did have a lot of support um, for places to stay, as well as just the generosity of other mushers to be willing to go out on training runs with us and, and to hang out with us and kind of show us the ropes along the way. So um, yeah, we just got really fortunate with that in in our, some of it was planned. Some just kind of fell into our lapses. We got to know people along the way. Um, But yeah, it's a big, it was a big undertaking, but I feel like as soon as we hit the road, everything just kind of, you know, just fell away and we're like, okay, well, we're just no different than going on sabbatical or any of the long road trips that we do. It's road tripping is not the hard part. It's the preparing for the road trip that takes the most time.
0: Yeah. And I've heard similar approaches with, you know, even the bigger races I did around Yukon Quest, where they're working all season to, you know, checklists and drop bag lists mm-hmm. and organizing everything and cutting dog snacks for endless hours. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would suggest to people out of that is if you don't have a local contact, if you don't have a friend or family or somebody in the area of the race, reach out to the race. Chances yes. are they know someone or they'll mm-hmm. be happy to make a suggestion on how to do it. I know we had a few mm-hmm. that asked last year, um, you know yourself included, about trail and where to go. And mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, I can't speak for other races, but as far as we're concerned, I'm happy to tell you where the trail is, to tell you mm-hmm. that you're welcome to use it as much as you like. Because th- that's why we put it in. We put it in for the mm-hmm. race, and if people get some extra usage out of it, then even better. So yeah. th- do you have any other tips or suggestions for people that might be looking at a road trip or considering a a big road trip for the season?
1: Yeah. So definitely if you're in the lower 48, look for maps of BLM land or Forest Service land. It's all public use. And so you can disperse camp, you can run your dogs. um, and, And there are a lot of trails like a lot of those forest service roads like where we train in Tahoe those are all in the summer those are all drivable roads in the winter they get shut down and they're groomed by snow machines and so there are a lot of those little pockets of trails all throughout the whole kind of race scene um, in between sites like that Um, the other thing that I really found to be helpful on this race season is try to spend the night before the race really as close as possible to the start. And so a lot of places we were able to camp in the parking lot the night before. Um, And for me, that just helped with morning routine and making sure the dogs got fed and watered and had rest time rather than just trying to scramble and You know, having to drive two hours to the race start or, you know, I I don't do well with that frantic energy right before the race. So for me, being able to stay really close to the start line or if not in the actual parking lot for the race, which a lot of um, places allow you to do that, um, was really nice for just being able to be calm and composed in the morning and just be able to do the last few minute um, adjustments or changes I needed to do rather than trying to, you know, Get there, drop dogs, take care of everything, pack your sled. Um, it's it's a lot. It's a lot before a race starts. So the more you can do the night before, and the closer you can stay to that start line, it means you just have that much more relaxed time in the morning before you hit the trail.
0: And definitely one less thing that can go wrong, you know, a, a vehicle <laughs> yeah. trouble or right. Yes. Like if your van yeah. didn't start the night, totally. like the morning of the race, you were already there. Yes, right. Like it's exactly. okay. No panic, yep. no anxiety, no stress. Let's just yep. figure it out later. Yeah. Um, as well, we should mention that you also had uh, your handler with you,
1: yeah. right? Of course,
0: for the for the whole trip. So, any yeah. suggestions from a handler perspective, or or for people that are looking to get a handler, or anything handler related mm. for a road trip like that?
1: Yeah. So I had. Teresa was our handler this winter and she was amazing. She just kind of, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what the handlers were supposed to do and every race was different. And so before we started the race season, I had, I had this little pink binder of, um, All of the race rules and all of what the handlers were allowed to do or not allowed to do because different races are different. Some races, handlers do everything and can be really hands on. They can massage, they can feed, they can water, they can do all those things. Other races, they can bring you your drop bag and they can clean up your straw and they can't do anything else. And so it was really vital that she understood what she was allowed to do and not allowed to do because I mean, I, you know, I would roll into a checkpoint in the middle of the night and, you know, don't always know what she is allowed to do or not allowed to do. So she really needed to be on top of that. And then she just was amazing in making sure she was there. We had one race um, where she said the first checkpoint, I think it was Idaho, you know. um, I was the first one to come into the checkpoint on that race, and and so she had gone to the officials at the checkpoint, being like, "Yeah, so I think Jess is coming in soon." And they're like, "No, there's no way she'd come in this early." Like just sitting back, drinking coffees, and then she like had to sheepishly go to them, be like, "No, I can see her headlamp. She's coming in." (laughs) So so she also was really on top of. Sometimes I think we we were unexpected to do as well as that we did. So people often didn't believe we were coming in as soon as we were. And so there were quite a few times when she had to be like, no, she's coming in now. We need officials at the checkpoint. (laughs) Um, So she played more than just the role of cleaning up straw, um, which I think it can, it can probably on the surface level seem a little unglamorous. There's a lot of cleanup after our mushers, but, Um, she was also incredible and just always having a smiling face and an encouraging word. And so she, and the dogs loved seeing that familiar happy face there. So she was just always really upbeat when we came in, which made it really easy for me to be upbeat and for the dogs to be happy. Even if it was like two in the morning and really cold, um, she was just always there with a smiling face. So I would say, um, pick your handlers to be the people you want to hang out with at 2am in the morning, because that's who they're going to be more than anything is they're going to be that first face that you see when you come into a spot. And also I know from her perspective, she she had an amazing time being on the race circuit with a lot of other handlers that were also doing their each race doing the, the triple crown as we call it um so she got they kind of created their own little community um you know they're all there doing ridiculous things at all hours of the day and night um so I think she had a really really good time and got to see a lot of different races being run different ways as well as a lot of different teams and and so she was able to learn a lot I, I know she has hopes of developing her own small team down the line so it it was an amazing learning experience for her um, and just being able to see that variety of, of teams and styles and, and races and all of that as well. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely could not do it without a handler. Um, I think this winter, Matt, my husband's probably going to be on on the road um, with me for a lot of the races. But we also have a handler working for us this summer, Audrey, um, who's been amazing in making sure that the dogs are are happy and run and getting forest walks this summer while I'm while I'm out in in the bush working for good chunks of time. Um, but I'm hoping she'll join us on on the trail this winter as well. Because yeah, the more the more friends you have out there, <laughs> the funner it can be sometimes.
0: Right, and so. Can you share a little about what you have planned for this coming season?
1: Oh, sure. Um, so, yeah, I guess we're just doing it all over again. <laughs> we we are going to be, we're signed up for Eagle Cap in Idaho. We're waiting for Montana Race to the Sky to open, but we'll be signing up for that as well to do the Triple Crown again. Um, and then we're signed up for the Canadian Challenge 100. So 100, 100 mile, eight dog um, races for all of them. And then Yellowknife Underdog, we're we're just going to kind of see how things go. Um, we'll kind of see what conditions look like. It's three weeks between Canadian challenge and the underdog. And so if the temperatures are really, it was a little bit hard on my guys this winter. It was really fun to do it once, um, but we'll just kind of see if conditions are really good back here at home and we can come home and get a couple, a month or two of just adventuring in the backcountry country um, as, as a family with Matt as well, then we might opt for that. But if, if it's another massive snow year here or, if trail conditions aren't good here, then then we might be more inclined to to try and head up to A for the underdog. So that that one's still a little bit of a question mark, but definitely um, the three races in the lower 48 and then up for the Canadian Challenge.
0: Well, if you're looking for another race or anybody else is looking for another race, there is one, a second race in Saskatchewan called the Torch River Run. It is the weekend after the Canadian Challenge, so the first weekend in March, and it's a two-day, eight-dog, uh, forty-mile-a-day race. You can find them on Facebook under Torch River Run, out of Christopher Lake, so about you know half an hour, forty-five minutes or so uh, north of Prince Albert. So it's a fun little race. Uh, I did it this past year. It's it's a lot of fun. It's just some people getting together, having a good time, uh, having a yeah. race. So it's it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of fun and. And some socialized time, and and uh, so something I would encourage people to look at uh, in, in case they're interested in in something else.
1: Yeah, that sounds super fun.
0: And so, is there anybody you want to thank? I always give people a chance because I know it takes a lot of people, and I know you mentioned a few already. But in case you want anybody, you'd like to thank.
1: Yeah. So yeah, as as you know, this isn't this isn't a one person eight dog show. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, of hard work and and love that goes in behind the scenes. So as I've mentioned, Matt, my husband, obviously, um, who keeps things running and 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 really allows me to do to do this and to take three months off um to to run and race dogs and and then my handler Teresa last year and and Audrey the handler we have this year I mean they really help all of I, I think Teresa at the end of the season someone a reporter asked her they're like oh so are you a dog trainer and she's like eh I'm a dog walker <laughs> because that's kind of you know the unglamorous part is your are you're shoveling poo and you're putting straw down and you're walking dogs, but it's such a vital, important part um, of making all of this work. So obviously a huge um, thank you to them. And then, I know I mentioned that, you know, we had all sorts of friends and family out along the race trail helping us out with places to stay and just encouragement and love at, at start lines and checkpoints. And so a huge shout out to all my friends and family that we were able to see this winter. It was really, really fun seeing everyone out on the trail and and getting a chance to hang out with everyone, even though most of my time was was spent with my head in the dogs. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, well, and then a huge thank you to friends and family, and and now we have a couple fans, which is really exciting. After this winter, we met so many new people on the trail and and have, have some fans, and so we're right now, we're doing our annual selling t-shirts and stickers and hoodies with dog faces on them, with caricatures of some of our most iconic dog faces, so a huge thank you to everyone who's already bought t-shirts or donated. We have a thing where you can buy a bonus road pop, so you donate $10 and it'll allows us to buy some um, chew toys for the dogs while they're in their dog boxes in between races. Um, they, they you know, love something to do. So we have friends and, and family who have graciously been buying these road pops so we can um, give the dogs fun, fresh treats um, between each race, just as a little fun thank you. Um, and then the last thing I'm going to do is a shout-out to my best dog from the season. I know we don't have favorites and we love them all, but Solo was, what is she? She's turning six. She's the mom of all of my two-year-olds. And as a puppy, she was this little butterfly chaser who was off in the woods hunting and chasing things. And you would never have known that she, she did amazing in the team, but you'd never have known that she'd want to run in front of the team. And this year she just stepped up as an incredible leader, absolutely impeccable leader. She led all but, I think, all but two legs of the entire 500 race miles. And not only led those race miles, but um, mentored her pups in lead as well. Um, So, I I mean, I couldn't do it without her for sure. So a huge shout out to all of my human friends and family, but also a huge, I guess, MVP award and shout out to um, my main leader solo for sure.
0: Well, such a great, uh, great story about the dogs in particular. Uh, just before I forget, where can people find your information in case they want to go in and help you out with a t-shirt or a road pop? Where do they find that?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram's the best place to connect. I'm Jess Reimer, J-E-S-R-E-I-M-E-R. Or we're selling all of the dog face swag on our website. And so that's ReimerPack.com. Um, yeah, you can pretty much find everything there.
0: And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes below so everybody can go and check that out and you can either help Jess out or follow her along on her journey this uh, upcoming race season. I really want to thank you again for for joining us on round two on the podcast. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure having you I'm looking forward to having you back at the race in February. To me, it feels like we're doing something right to have people come, have a good time, enjoy themselves. Um, and want to come back again uh, as well as sharing their positive experience with others because I think that is the best way that races grow is from referrals and positive feedback you know word of mouth so we thank you for doing that as well and joining us again and we're looking forward to seeing you on the trail this coming season and uh, up here in Saskatchewan in February so thanks again Jess any last words before we go?
1: No, just a huge thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to seeing old faces as well as new ones at this year's race season. And even if you don't want to buy Dog Chase t-shirts, just um, feel free to pop in on Instagram and say hello. It's been really fun to connect with people um, through this whole racing experience. So thanks for having me.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks again. And thanks to all of our fans and followers and listeners for following along. Uh, I want to say a special thank you to uh, First Paw Media and Robert Forteau, with uh, helping us keep this podcast going and, and helping to mentor us along on this podcast journey. So thank you from all of us at Canadian Channel Tales. And until next time, and goodbye.